So in this episode of TechSess, we're going to be demystifying crypto and blockchain and NFTs. And if, like me, these things really confused you, then you need to check out this episode with Sean Delaney, who's going to give you the lowdown and everything that you need to know. But first up, I just want to tell you a little bit about the IT services buyer's guide that we have. This is a free document on our website. You don't have to enter any information to get access to it. You just need to head over to www.m3networks.co.uk forward slash buyer's guide and you'll be able to click the link and get the download. And this is going to give you loads of information to help you understand the questions that you need to ask any potential IT partner in your business or indeed just go back and ask these questions to your existing IT company and then you can help find out whether you're being served correctly and whether there's any gaps in the IT support services that you are being offered. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, I'm really excited for this episode because this is one area of technology that I actually don't know much about. And I'm going to learn loads. I'm sure other people are going to learn loads. And I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Delaney, who's the head of business development at Sense, who's actually based over in Vietnam. I'm sure we'll find out how he managed to kind of get himself over there shortly. So, Sean, thanks for joining us. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. This is actually my second stint in Vietnam. So I've been here just over a year this time around. First stint was 2012 to 2015. That was a little bit more random that time. I'd been uh, working in London for four years and uh, fancied a move somewhere and ended up coming to Vietnam on the recommendation of a, a friend of mine from school who spent a bit of time out here. So initially intended to be here six months and stayed for about three and a half years, which I think is uh, is common practice for a lot of expats out here. Uh, it's a nice way of life. And uh, yeah, so my background has always been business development uh, in some shape or form, a combination of sort of software development companies and uh, cloud computing. And yeah, so a good friend of mine from the first time I was in Vietnam set up his own business uh, doing software development, specializing Web3 development in 2018. And uh, about two years ago, he started trying to tempt me to come back out to Vietnam just over a year ago, I took him up on that and uh, I'm, I'm back out here. Most people will probably have heard of like crypto, cryptocurrency and have maybe some ideas of kind of what that is. And then taking it a bit further, some people might be aware of blockchain or have heard of blockchain. And then the other one I really want to ask you about is what the hell is an NFT? But we'll come to that shortly. Yeah, those, those questions that you asked. They were pretty much the questions when I arrived here just over a year ago. So this is kind of my first, certainly from a, a professional standpoint, working in the space. And I had the exact same question, what the hell is an NFT? Blockchain, I just thought of crypto, coin, and I kind of had a very loose understanding of it. I started working for the current company and we are a, a development company. So we, we do mobile and web apps. And blockchain technology is, is just that, it's a technology. And... It really should be the unsung hero, something in the background that kind of ticks away. It shouldn't really influence necessarily what a business is building upon. It's just a technology at the end of the day that allows us to do essentially different things to what was possible. A lot of the words that are out there are kind of buzzwords. So Web3 has got a different meaning depending on who you ask that, a bit like cloud computing. It's a marketing term. Um, the way I view Web3, I suppose, would be an amalgamation of uh, innovative technologies and convergence of innovative technologies. 
so within that, you know, you've got blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, NFTs, AR, VR, metaverse, all of those buzzwords. Blockchain is um, a digital ledger, effectively. The first application for blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, the moving of digital currency via the blockchain without the need of a, a kind of intermediary or third party. Around about 2017, or maybe before, actually, maybe 15, 16, the uh, invention of smart contracts came along, which just allowed a programmable nature to the blockchain. So it basically allowed functionalities to happen in the same way as cryptocurrency does. A lot of that is the tech and applications of tech. And the big problem with why everybody says, what the hell is an NFT? What the hell is blockchain? Is because the space is currently driven and a lot of the noise is talking about the tech rather than talking about the value. And so when I joined Sense last year, kind of, I had a very limited view and I wasn't particularly interested in what I knew. NFTs, pictures of monkeys, crypto, Bitcoin, scams, that was my perception. It was only when I started looking at what our developers were building across multiple sectors that aren't really talked about that the kind of penny dropped. And I was like, ah, okay, there is some value here that's outside of those, um, those use cases that we do hear about. And I kind of just set about initially just for myself and my own learning and understanding, taking something like blockchain or NFTs as an application of that technology and studying use cases per industry. So looking at blockchain within uh, real estate, looking at blockchain within the music sector, looking at blockchain within, you know, digital identity, supply chain. And that's what I really started to see the value add. And then a lot of the stuff I do on my LinkedIn is it's kind of educational content as I kind of on a bit of a mission to try and move the, the terminology and the discussion away from the technology, which is only ever going to stay within the echo chamber of Web3 currently, to actually get people outside of the CDC where they might be able to utilize the tech. So why should small business, medium-sized businesses be interested in blockchain or NFTs? On a case-by-case, it will depend on the industry and the sector. So what I would recommend for anybody who has an interest in, in what it's all about and to see whether it's applicable for them, their business, their customers, their users, their service, is just to do a little bit of research within your sector. So if you've got a, a retail business, an e-commerce website, you're involved in supply chain in some shape or form, is to just research that sector, research how blockchain is currently being used in that space, mainly just to, to get an understanding of it. You know, that's the place to start rather than the fundamentals of the technology. Um, start to see what businesses, competitors are doing in that space. And, and you will find after a little bit of research that every sector has already had you know, huge numbers of big businesses recognized sort of entering the space, trialing the technology. That'll be a place to start to get an understanding of where it can be used by looking at actually the, the use case rather than the technology. And then you'll just come to a, it, it, it's a business decision. So as with anything, this is the technology. Business shouldn't change. Business 101 is, you know, what's a pain point? How, you know, how can I solve it? And, and then after that, you look at how the technology might enable that rather than previously when people jumped on a web three bandwagon, you know, a couple of years ago, people seem to forget that and think, okay, I'm going to build in web three. I'm going to build on the blockchain and I'll think about a use case second. And that is where a lot of businesses fail and flop. 
at the end of the day, it's a technology. It should run in the background. You know, in my opinion, you know, blockchain technology is, is not for everything. You know, it absolutely isn't just like any technology. It's not for every single application. There are use cases that it doesn't, not needed, but there will become a point in, you know, five years time, 10 years time where everybody is using blockchain technology, NFTs. And the caveat will be they probably won't know they're doing that. And that's the way it should be. You know, having your passport, your driver's license, your plane ticket will be an NFT stored on the blockchain, but you will have no idea that it's just that. It will just appear like a, an e-ticket today. The underlying technology will be it's on a blockchain, which means it's irrefutable. It will make transfer of that ticket much easier, refunds easier. Airlines are happier because they don't have empty seats. All these kind of things is the value add. But ultimately, you won't be talking about the tech. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because it's a good point you make. The, the people that first start you know, adopting technologies tend to like you you kind of just said it. They they say we want to use this technology, and then we need we find a way to use it rather than it just be a natural thing, right? It's like anything. You say, well, we want to build this thing. Okay, well, this is the right technologies to use to build it, rather than another way around. Going, hey, we want to build something that uses blockchain or NFT, and then let's just find a a, a reason to do it. Is there any specific kind of industries or sectors where? where these technologies are having like the biggest impacts? Yeah, I would say so. So it's making a fairly big impact in a lot of industries. The rate at which industries are adopting the technology is often not inhibited by the tech because the tech is there in a lot of use cases. It's regulation. So the real estate sector has some really phenomenal use cases, really strong cases for the utilization of blockchain technology. I'll, I'll kind of touch upon it. Couple in a minute, but it is a sector that's littered with, and that's very dependent and specific depending on the jurisdiction you're in. And all these things make innovation a little bit difficult. Doesn't mean it necessarily inhibits it. I, I know I've spoken to some, some projects that do some very cool things within the real estate sector. It will just take longer. You might look at another sector, for example, ticketing, much easier. That's more advanced because there is less regulation. But once again, it's a great value case. You don't have to search far to find somebody who we've lost money on a, on a fake ticket because it's difficult to authenticate, particularly, you know, buying, selling online, secondhand. So, uh, something like the ticketing sector, it's easier to, you know, there's been more advancement there. It's not necessarily because the use case is stronger. It's just because there's less red tape and regulation. But something like real estate, for example, tokenization. So there's a few, few areas within real estate, but let's say like tokenization of, of, of real estate. So. What you could effectively do is take a commercial property, you know, say it's, it's $1 million, $1 million and you tokenize that on the blockchain. So effectively what you're doing is you're dividing that into a million tokens at dollar each and through a nice user interface, mobile app or web app, you can allow people to invest with, you know, as little as five or $10 into a commercial real estate property worth a million with a few quick clicks. Uh, so. I mean, that's a very simplified version of what tokenization in real estate is. But as you can see, it, it's, it's going to potentially change the game in investing and in ownership. You know, previously, who has, a, who has access to investing in commercial real estate? Very wealthy, very well connected. But I'm speaking to people that are potentially allowing you to invest with little as $100 into a real estate project of your choosing through a web app. So somebody suddenly has access to this. 
another side of real estate, less about the sort of commercialization of it and, you know, making money, but actual just real use case for something that's a strong pain point is storing data on the blockchain. Again, you don't have to search fast, find somebody that's had a bit of a nightmare process with the buying of a selling of a house. And often it's trying to dig out documents that are decades old. They're on paper, the deeds to a property, and it, it can hold up uh, and cost a lot of money in third party, fourth party, fifth party, where you can put this information, take some time and it will take some companies to, you know, document this and put this onto the blockchain. But potentially what you're doing is, is saving a lot of time and money in processes that are very archaic, you know, and, and I think everyone I've spoken to, you know, being abroad, I speak to a lot of international company. I've never come across a country that's got a seamless real estate sector when it comes to buying and selling houses and blockchain technology. In that sense, all it's doing, it's a digital ledger. It's a record of something that cannot be tampered with or edited or removed. It's verifiable. It's publicly available. And, uh, this just removes the need for a third party. If you have the technology to quickly access the blockchain and check this, uh, like a QR code, a glorified QR code or, you know, barcode is kind of stuff can be, can be fast tracked in, in spaces where this is, this is a problem. It's really interesting, actually. I, I could probably listen to you give examples of that all day because that was going to be my next question, which you've already answered, which is, you know, some practical examples. I was fascinated by the real estate kind of thing of people being able to invest, you know, into that. Like you said, it's stuff that's not normally accessible to the kind of the average kind of person in the street, right? But I guess, so the question is then, someone say invests some money into like a commercial property, any property, right? The value goes up, right? That's, and people can then, can they, they sell their kind of part of that? Or like, how does that work? If you get more into the details of how and when you can set, sell and stuff like that, then that's looking into the specific business model of that particular company that set up that, that plan. And obviously that can vary and you have things called tokenomics, which is, you know, uh, you know, how, how many tokens are in supply and, you know, uh, how many are given to early stage investors, how many are publicly available. All this stuff is, yeah, just like a business decides to, to set up. That's kind of all internal, but the fundamental technology just allows you to tokenize stuff. You know, an NFC is just a type of token. So NFC non-fungible means it's completely unique. Uh, a standard token is something that is not unique, like you know, the example of the real estate, you know, you divide it into a million $1 tokens. Each $1 token is worth exactly the same. And NFC is completely unique, but effectively they're the same. They're tokens on the blockchain. So where you might use an, you know, an NFT use case, I think is valuable and it's not a picture of an ape, but it's a speculative hype driven thing that we all know. NFT is a great one. Digital identity, you know, what is a, an NFT that we use day to day, but it's just a hard copy passport driver's license. Those are completely unique to us. You can only imagine how much things will improve if, if something like a passport or a digital, you know, a, a, a driver's license of either. You know, when I moved to Vietnam, I went through about a six months process of, of getting a work permit application. It was six months of sending documentations, degree certificates, passports, health checks back and forth between London and Vietnam, wet signatures, all sorts of nonsense, just to say, Yes, they're valid. It wasn't like the jury was out on whether I'd get a work permit. It was just six months to verify the hard copies that I had in my hand. Are they real? You know, every, when you get an educate, you know, when you get your degree, 
storing it as an NFC on a blockchain. So it's instantly verifiable for frequent purposes, visa applications, all of this stuff. You know, that process costs, you know, my company and me and stuff, you know, in the low thousands of dollars, let alone the time. It's a huge use case there. So the, this blockchain, there's not just a blockchain, right? So if someone say, for example, like you mentioned, like the visa passport thing, so would like, the passport office say like in the UK, would they maintain and have their own blockchain for passports? Is that kind of how it works? Depends. So there are lots of different blockchains currently. This is a new technology. So uh, a lot of them are vying for a similar kind of space. And certainly a lot of the newer ones Will, will not exist in for five years. So it's, again, typical thing. It's a new technology. Loads of people are building stuff and 90% of it won't be around in five years. The, uh, the kind of core network, because it was the first one to invent smart contracts, which was effectively kind of initially had the Bitcoin network, which was just cryptocurrency, a digital ledger of currency. Uh, the Ethereum allowed for smart contracts, which is just basically programming to say, if this happens, then that happens. Once this happens, then you, this action will happen, but only when it happens. Those are the public blockchains. There are private blockchains. It depends what uh, the kind of sole purpose of the project is. If you want true decentralization, whether it's centralized. And a lot of the kind of Web3 ethos is trying to move away from centralized infrastructure, i.e. a Facebook who anything you post on Facebook, it's theirs. They can turn it off. They can switch you off. A bank, you know, again, we're quite lucky in being from the UK and places like that. Is it, you know, despite financial crisis, it's been fairly significant in recent years. You know, I've come across people from, well, you know, Vietnam and, and, and other nationalities where you see crazy inflation and corrupt banks and overnight not being able to access your life savings. Uh, those sorts of things in war-torn countries, high, highly inflationary currencies. These are some really, really strong use cases for true decentralization and, and an infrastructure, uh, which would come from utilizing, you know, the Bitcoin network or an Ethereum network, which is has zero centralization. You know, it, it, it's not owned by any one organization has the ability to turn it off or block transaction rate. Apologies for some of the questions I'm asking are a bit kind of like you know noob questions when it comes to this but uh, i literally am completely clueless on this stuff i feel like it should be a lot more up to speed than what i am uh, no I'm, one in the space is I'm, you know literally that's the problem right now is it's it's a combination of it's so new people don't know how to communicate it there is no one if you see someone that says they're a chain expert or a web3 expert they're a liar they're, it's not been around long enough to have any experts yet quite interesting so yeah so Based on what you just said, I'm thinking, I'm guessing like governments and stuff might, you know, set up and maintain like their own private blockchains. And then you said there's public stuff. So are, are, the, are the big tech companies, so like the Google, the Microsofts, the Amazons, are they not having, you know, are they working on this stuff? Are they going to have like the public blockchain? Will they be the long term players in this? Like you said, the guys that are kind of doing this Certainly stuff now. You'll be hard pushed to find. Um a big organization that isn't utilizing the technology, exploring with it, experimenting with it. And to be honest, actually, a lot of the big organizations, the bigger companies are doing a lot of the, you know, stuff in the background. We'll be using it for internal stuff. The, the really unsexy stuff that doesn't sell papers, you know, like uh, overnight millionaires from selling pictures of monkeys, you know, 
a lot of the, the real good use cases of blockchain technology is, is on the face of it boring, you know, supply chain, shipping, you know, because you're able to trace products from raw material right through to, uh, uh, you know, if it's a clothing, you know, the clothing space to, to, to the end customer, you know, that's through, that's crosses the globe. And there is so much wastage and energy and money traditionally because there is just so much corruption or human error, paper systems, different ends of the scale that don't talk to each other. It's highly, highly inefficient. So you're seeing, you know, big, I think like Maersk, a big shipping container company that, that they are, you know, they have been using it for a while in the background, but it's, it's not for, you know, B2C commercial stuff and it, it doesn't, it doesn't sell papers, so to speak. But again, that's that companies that are looking, you know, another big one for NFTs is authenticating of luxury goods. Uh, so there's, you know, big watch brands are utilizing it. Uh, the diamond industry is utilizing it. In spaces like that, one of the biggest problems is, you know, black market fakes of Rolexes. And, you know, there's a Swiss watch company called Panerai and, and they're giving it they're basically every watch you buy, uh, it has an NFT associated to it. I think then might for, you know, marketing purposes, give it some sort of fancy front end artwork that it looks nice when you get it. But fundamentally, it's just authenticating that watch is. So when you come to sell it 10 years later, Luxury watches go up in value. That's quite an important process for the buyer and the seller to be able to quickly, easily verify that watch. It also gives the watch brand the access to a secondary market never had before, because normally you don't have access to the person who buys your Rolex or your Panerai ten years ten years down the line. For 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 luxury brands, fashion brands, retail brands, the diamond sector, you know, the the real use case there is is really effective. But you know, it, it's not that kind of sexy thing that, that gets people talking. So, so companies like that, when there's a real utility behind it, are, are kind of have been exploring this and using this for a little while, and are continuing to do so. Yeah, it's interesting. We've actually got a customer who's in the kind of you talked about luxury goods verification, kind of like the kind of ripoffs, the fakes, right? Where brand brand protection, you know, is is kind of what we're talking about, right? And that's kind of one thing that that they do. So, like that, you know, not letting people kind of create fake products of well-known brands, selling them online and things like that, and making sure that they kind of help protect those businesses. I've not spoken to them about this, but I'm pretty sure this is the kind of stuff that they'll be looking at, if not already kind of working on. In fact, I just had a quick scan on their website. They actually do have a page on their website called protecting nfts so they're talking about protecting your nfts from infringement and so yeah so they're already kind of looking at this stuff in fact so many examples of this that you can think of and like you said though like a lot of the ones that will really do well are the ones that are not really that exciting to talk about it's the kind of boring mundane stuff like you know imagine like not having to carry a paper passport around and it was all just there and, and, and digital like you said and how many like how much stress is caused by people losing their passport on holiday every year right i mean there's a there's a great example you know concert tickets is the other one you know you mentioned i think tickets like so right now you know you tend to get a qr code and i've seen some systems where they're they don't want a screenshot but as you know and this actually happened there was a there was a beyonce concert down in edinburgh a few months back yeah here in scotland and 
it caused chaos because people couldn't get online to get their QR code because, of course, the 4G or the 5G network just like goes into meltdown when there's like 50,000 people in the same area, right? The, lo- the antenna that they're all connecting to just can't handle that. And anyone that's ever been to a concert or everything will know exactly what I'm talking about, where you're, just, you're connected, but you just can't seem to do anything. And this chaos of people getting into the concert and delays of hours of people trying to get in, it was crazy. People were having to walk miles to like a local pub to connect to their Wi-Fi so to get their ticket and stuff. Because we just take it for granted that you can do this, right? Yeah, of course, I'll get on 5G and I'll be able to get my ticket. But it, it caused a lot of problems. So I'm seeing, and might be wrong, but I'm seeing things like, you know, tickets, you know, that, you know, like you said, to prove that it's not fake, it's not just a screenshot that some person sent to their mates five times and they're all trying to blag their way into the concert, right? So that could solve that kind of problem then. But would you still need an internet connection to be able to use like a, an NFT-based ticket or something? No, I mean, you'd be able to store it. I mean, that's the thing. It shouldn't change, right? Once you have it, it you know, it'll be stored in a phone, I guess, a bit like a, a, a document. And then you all need, all need it as, as a system, uh, you know, for, for wherever you're going, if it's a concert, a stadium, whatever, just to authenticate it. And um, that's a software thing, really. Just some, you know, an app that accesses into the blockchain and the back end. In that case, is that going to put an end to the... QR code use for these kind of stuff. In that case, is that going to put an end to the QR code use for these kind of stuff? Because QR codes like made an amazing comeback. QR codes were kind of one of these things that never really kind of took off unless you're you know, like using it for, you know, you see it inside products and stuff. There's QR codes like they use it for supply chain and, and manufacturing and stuff. But for the normal kind of everyday person, QR codes made an amazing comeback over the last few years. Is this kind of technology going to like kill yeah, off so QR I mean, codes yeah, again? It, or th- this is basically going to be kind of the future for ticketing, uh, for you know storing of medical data, for example. That's a big issue. If you move countries, you know, being able to quickly access your your data and having basically it stored as an NFT, so you can take that. And again, as long as place you're going has access to the authentication it can pull up the records on potentially a private blockchain you know to, to you know so that the records are accessible but all it is is you know a kind of front facing you know what we see of the nft and what we see here about in the newspapers and the digital art that is just you know the, the front end i suppose of the nft ultimately what it is is you know a, a unique digital record that's stored that's irrefutable on the blockchain so if you think of, you know, where can that be utilized, you know, something like a ticketing space is, is massive. And then you just need something to verify that just like you do a QR code, but the underlying blockchain is obviously a lot more secure and you can't tamper with it. So it's doing a similar kind of thing. It just, uh, it's irrefutable. And then, you know, you get front end, you know, you, you get with that, you can again start to think like, okay, it's not just ticketing, but if this thing is, you know, it's an absolute proof of ownership. That's effectively what a token is or an NFT, right? This is yours. So suddenly when you have that, you can then, you know, it's a marketing opportunity for businesses or for, you know, the organizer, you know, a music artist, for example, and they might release uh, a, a bunch of NFTs to certain fans and this will give them token-gated access to stuff that other fans can't have access to, whether it's... uh you know, a, a, a private gig or a limited edition release. Again, this is just a, a verifiable digital 
ownership. It enables more value than was previously possible because things can be faked and you can't have that guarantee. And that's why sectors like the ticketing space have been so littered with scams and black markets for so long. You know, next five years, how do you see kind of trends or how do you see the SMEs of the world kind of taking advantage of these kind of technologies? In five years' time, everybody will be utilizing NFTs on a daily basis. The reality is they won't know they're doing that, you know, and, and that's the key thing, you know, and e- even to the point where companies, businesses are actively trying to uh, not talk tech jargon, you know, particularly because the space has got such a ton, you know, and it, the, the term NFT has got a negative connotation. Uh, blockchain, less so, but potentially, but also we don't need to be non-fungible token. Like that's such a, it's a mouthful. It, it, it's specifically what it is. Any other walk of life, we talk about the value. You know, we, we call it a ticket <laughs> or we call it a passport. We don't call it, you know, what the underlying, you know, a, the book is or, or, or whatever. And so I think things like uh, degree certificates, passport, driver's license will be NFTs. Plane tickets will be. But I just don't think we'll be talking about this. That's that's kind of uh, what I would probably say that is a prediction. I, I think you're totally right. I think all these examples are... It's like quality of life stuff, right? Like you said, you've had experience of moving to another country and then the, the, the visa system and like the medical record stuff. And it's like the stuff that shouldn't be a problem, but is a massive problem. How do you show these things and how do you prove these things in a world that's so easy to copy things and fake things? You know, we've all got ones and things like that. And yeah, we've all... We've all been stood there at a concert and they've said, hey, you can't show a screenshot of your ticket. It's got to be the actual ticket. I'm like, yeah, but I can't get online to show you it because, you know, the problems I kind of talked about earlier. So, yeah, really interesting, actually. And I'm sure, you know, listening to this, people will have ideas. I'm sure there'll be some businesses out there that are thinking, we could really take advantage of that. I think, yeah, that there has been a bit of a kind of bad rep, kind of, you know, when people, it's just usual thing, you know, people hear bad, stuff right especially with crypto and stuff like that we you know anyone on linkedin we've all had those kind of like crypto messages right in our inbox you know people wanting to invest in stuff and like so it's got this kind of like scammy kind of like connotation around it a lot of the big companies are doing internal back-end utility-based stuff on blockchain technology the public doesn't really get involved in the the technology from a front end perspective and user experience is, is not quite there yet. So naturally, there's going to be holes, there's gaps. It's not a great experience. There's room for scammers to exploit, as with any new technology, and and that's what makes the noise uh, rather than stuff that sort of just ticks away in the background. But that will change. For any kind of business owners and stuff out there listening to this want to find out more what would you suggest next you mentioned your linkedin profile and i know that you've been kind of guest and other kind of linkedin live chats and everything else but what's the what would you say is the best thing if people want to kind of kind of listen to what we've said they've gone yeah i've got some ideas around this i want to find out more what would you advise um, them to so do so i would find uh some companies that are building uh within the, that space in their sector and that's super, super easy to do. So if you've got a company that's heavily involved with supply chain, look at some of the big players in there and they're quite, they tend to be quite open and, and publicize what they're doing within the space, how they're using the technology. There's a lot of, lots of use cases out there in a point of getting to understand it. 
And then I would say just just kind of research the value and the use case again, because it is such a new space. There is a lot of information and there's a lot of people kind of doing what I'm doing at the minute, which is trying to put out easy to understand use cases across different sectors. So it's actually quite uh, over the past year, there's there's some, you know, there are roles become available and people taking up jobs where, you know, that kind of position is to 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 take the technical knowledge and translate it into stuff that people understand. So yeah, there, there is a, a fairly a fairly solid Web3 community. And I think it's just finding people in your industry that are building in that space. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and the guys at Sense if they want to have a conversation with kind of some of the work that you guys are doing? So yeah, Sean Delaney on LinkedIn. I'm based out of Saigon in Vietnam. So uh, yeah, but I'm used to used to being contacted by people in all sorts of different time zones. So uh, LinkedIn's not the best bet. Sure. We'll make sure we um, link your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. But Sean, that's been really insightful. It's actually helped clear a lot of things up in my head, actually, because sometimes you think of these things and it's like, oh, it's all techie and really high tech. And I'm a, obviously a technical person, but that's really helped kind of get my head in line in terms of simplifying some of these things. And I'm sure it's helped a lot of other people that will listen to this as well. Thank you very much for inviting me. If you'd like a quick chat with me about anything I've discussed in this episode, or you have a specific question about any aspect of your IT or cybersecurity, you can book a call in my diary. Just head over to www.m3networks.co.uk forward slash meet Mark. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app for future episodes, where I'll dive deeper into other IT and cyber related topics. Texas is an M3 Networks podcast. Find out more at m3networks.co.uk. Okay. Okay.